TheWealthManagement.com Advisor Innovations Podcast is sponsored by LPL. As financial advice continues to evolve, LPL is at the forefront. Whether it's growing your RIA or building an independent practice, advisors can pick the business model, services, technology, and product mix that best meets their clients' needs. As a top wealth management firm, 100% dedicated to advisor success, LPL looks forward to learning how they can help you build your tomorrow today. For information and show notes, go visit lpl.com slash advisor innovation. Hey, thanks very much for joining us, everyone. I'm David Armstrong, the editor of wealthmanagement.com, and this is the Advisor Innovations Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Uh, This is the podcast, as you know, where we speak to folks who are pushing the industry forward into new and interesting areas. And in that regard, I think our next guest is perfect. Christopher King, the founder and CEO of Eaglebrook Advisors. Chris, thanks for joining us. David, how's it going? Thank you for having me on. I'm super excited for this conversation. Great. I am too. I am too, because uh, the way that uh, I first came across Eaglebrook uh, was through the advisors. I, I know that you ha- are creating SMA platforms for cryptocurrency investments and have gotten onto the platforms of some pretty prominent advisory firms, Dynasty, Mariner Wealth, uh, some of the other ones. For uh, uh, those folks who aren't as familiar with Eagle Brook, can you take a step back and just give us the 101? Who, who, who are you and what do you do? Yes, of course. So my extremely quick background my name is Christopher King. I'm the founder and CEO of Eaglebrook Advisors. Prior to starting Eaglebrook, I worked in venture capital, specifically focusing on investing in companies, building infrastructure in the crypto space. So invested in Coinbase, BlockFi, you know, a few of the other uh, infrastructure plays, um, but saw a massive opportunity as no one's building the correct investment solutions for financial advisors. So um, left that from around two and a half years ago to start Eaglebrook with the mission of building the bridge between uh, wealth management, financial advisors, and the emerging Bitcoin and digital asset market. Um, and that's exactly you know what we've done at Eagle Brook. We raised capital from a few prominent uh, wealth management executives. We decided to build a separately managed account platform, uh, which had not been done uh, before. So there was a lot of compliance, you know, regulatory structure, mm-hmm. infrastructure integrations necessary um, to you know get that done. You know, luckily we were partnered with a, a really great RAA on that. And from there, uh, we basically built the first uh, SMA platform in the crypto market that's specifically serving only financial advisors. And uh, we have uh, now uh, we're working with 34 uh, independent RIAs that um, you know collectively manage over $150 billion. And we're working with f- over 400 financial advisors that are actively allocating to this market. Uh, and we're educating another um, 2,000. So really interesting things that we're doing. Um, we really focus on education and access. Um, and another big piece of that is all of the compliance, the practice management, the security, and the integrations with advisors workflow. It makes this a very seamless and easy to use platform for advisors. Um, we just crossed uh, 140 million in assets. So we're moving fairly quickly. We started out 2021 at 5 million. So we've seen some pretty incredible growth in the advisor market. And we're excited to uh, continue helping advisors understand uh, this nascent market and understand how it makes sense in portfolios. Obviously, it's not an asset class for everyone. But if you look at the alternative investment landscape, uh, we think it's fairly attractive for a few different reasons, which I'm sure we're going to get into. So yeah, really excited to continue working with the advisors. Um, you mentioned uh, some of the RIAs that were backers uh, of Eagle Brook. That includes uh, Marty Bicknell at uh, Mariner. Um, I think Mark Cassidy is, a, is an investor, uh, formerly CEO of LPL. Um, so it really were 
it was advisors that uh, uh, you helped hatch this idea with. Yes, all basically did not raise capital from people in the crypto space or kind of you know West Coast venture capital money. We really only raised capital from strategic individuals that have very long careers building out solutions and, and companies in the wealth management space. And I think that's how we've been so successful as they've helped guide the company, you know, from a product and marketing and branding perspective, but also all the infrastructure necessary for things that advisors want. So that's correct. Yeah. Mark, Marty Bicknell, Mark Cassidy, Mike Alfred, um, who's on our board, is one of my mentors. He uh, previously built a company called Brightscope, which uh, ran data for the wealth management market. So sure. we have a really good group of uh, individuals that have, have been helping us um, build this platform. And so let's, uh, uh, what did they see there? I mean, what did Marty Bicknell and, and others see uh, as the need? Why do advisors need access to cryptocurrency? So I think that's a great question because back in 2018, 2019, when I was investing in these companies, the advisor demand was unknown. A lot of people in the wealth management space still thought, you know, this was a fad and this was tulip mania and all that stuff after the market cycle of 2017. However, you know, as I was raising capital in late 2019, a lot of those individuals saw their own firms see a spike in demand and interest as a lot of advisors and clients realized this wasn't going away. So I think it originally started off as an accommodation meaning for the clients that do want to invest in this asset class that are doing it on their own via Coinbase or another real retail exchange anyways, why don't we give them an offering that our advisors can be trained up on the market, they can talk and have an engaging conversation with their clients about it, and they can actually access a basically very secure solution as opposed to basically investing, let's say, you know, 250K, 500K, on Coinbase, which is a hot wallet and has high transaction fees and all of these things, have it held at a qualified custodian in cold storage with an RIA, right? Eagle Brook is an RIA ourselves, just how our clients are structured. So kind of checking off all the boxes, they saw that that was in demand. So I think it started as an accommodation. I actually believe that has shifted this year, um, just given you know the run up, you know, starting this year at 20k, then going to 60, back yeah. down to 30, now at 60 again. So you know, some some interesting volatility there. But it has shifted from a business accommodation to almost a defensive strategy. Hmm. Almost every single RIA wealth management firm, TAMP, IBD, Wirehouse, they are defining what their digital asset strategy is, and they realize if they do not have an offering, there's going to be there's going to be major issues, you know, with assets leaving their platform potentially. So I think that's, you know, where they're seeing, oh, wait, this is actually a defensive play. And as they're doing that work, they're actually realizing it's also a business opportunity and not just a, you know, an accommodation because one, they can move assets held on these hot wallets that aren't secure to a cold storage solution, which just, that just means it's secure. It's offline from the internet and it minimizes the risk, you know, the custody risk. Um, or, or losing the assets. So I think that's a big thing. But so they can bring assets to their platform, but then they can also monetize their distribution. Um, and this is more for like the home offices and, and the platforms where they can bring on more assets and can monetize their distribution by charging platform fees or, or whatnot, you know, they do in the traditional market. I think that's a really interesting shift that we're going to continue to see that trend uh, into 2022 and 2023. Why um, are SMAs 
uh, separately managed accounts the best way to invest in Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies. You know, we just saw the launch this week of a, of a Bitcoin futures ETF that apparently brought in a billion dollars in two days. So clearly, I think you're right about the demand. The demand is certainly there. I don't think there's any question about it. It's, it's the execution. Why, why an SMA? Yes, that's a great question. So when we first started the company and we're, we're thinking about what exactly to build from a technology perspective, we were looking at various options. And there's, there's basically three options for, the, for most advisors right now, right? There's the private funds, right? It's a you know, Bitcoin or an index private fund where there's subscription docs. You yep. basically can buy at NAV and you own shares of that private fund. Um, there's liquidity constraints with that, right? Some, some anywhere between you know, five day to 90 day liquidity to get your money out, just like any private fund. And you're either buying a single asset or an index. There's not much flexibility um, or liquidity. The second option is uh, one of the public vehicles. So that's OTC public trusts or the recently launched Bitcoin futures ETF. Mm -hmm. The major issue with these products is that they're very expensive. When I say expensive, they're not expensive, but they are expensive from a you know, cost base, uh, cost expense uh, perspective, mm -hmm. right? The, the ETF came out 95 BIPs. Um, some other public trusts charge two to two and a half percent, right? That's, that's fairly expensive yeah. in the wealth management asset management market, but that's actually not where you're paying the most. You're paying the most with tracking error. We've seen yeah. massive, massive tracking error with both OTC public trusts as well as futures ETFs. If you look at USO versus spot price of oil, you wouldn't even think it's the same asset you're investing in if you look at it from a two-year, five-year, 10-year 10-year time horizon. USO so track, being the futures, USO being the, the oil futures ETF. Yes, that, yes, that's correct. Exactly. That's kind of the analysis. Um, we did that in the gold futures ETF versus gold spot price. So if you look at that, that's really where you're paying with the public options that are available right now. I'm excited to see a spot Bitcoin ETF. I think that's a product that advisors can feel comfortable putting their clients in. I don't believe there's any anything on you know from the public perspective that is available right now that, that advisors should feel comfortable putting their clients in, giving the major cost with the tracking error. Um, so that's that's a big piece of it. And then the issue with the private funds is mainly operational and from a liquidity perspective. For example, we had clients that you know wanted to take off some profit because they bought below 20k, right? You know, it, it touched uh, you know 67k um, this week. They wanted to take off profits at a certain time, right? Past trading hour, 6 p.m. on on Tuesday, and they can do that, right? We have second by second liquidity. Whereas if you wanted to do that in a private fund, and now we're back down to you know 62, you're paying that cost because you can't get that liquidity in time. So that's the major issue with a lot of the private fund structures that we're seeing. Um, however, what's interesting is that because it's a familiar structure and it's a security, it makes it a little bit more straightforward. So that's kind of talking about the other options in the market. I wanted yeah. to lay that out so I could you know, correctly explain kind of why we think the SMA structure makes the most sense. So when you think about the SMA structure, it is the direct option and it's a direct offering. Your client owns the assets directly in their name at a qualified custodian, whether it's an individual account, a trust account, an LLC, IRA, we take all types, almost all types of registered accounts. That's a major advantage that the client owns it directly in their name. What this does is it greatly minimizes tracking error and allows clients to execute directly in their accounts 
when they want, the way they want, they can do dollar cost averaging. They can do cascading limit orders to move to the market. They can do TWAPs. They can do VWAPs. They can you know, invest at 2 a.m. on Saturday if they want to, right? This is a 24-7 market. So it gives clients a little bit more flexibility. And then when they want to sell out, right, they can sell out fairly quickly. And we also have no minimums where some of the private funds have anywhere between 25K and 100K minimums. So that's you know fairly advantageous as well, you know, not be, be able to get your feet wet with five or 10 grand before you want to, you know, move in full speed with a, you know, two to 6% allocation. The m- other major advantage, I think this is uh, very interesting to touch on is I don't think, you know, a Bitcoin spot ETF might get approved in 2022, right? There's, you know, things like GBTC and, and bit, uh, bit, yeah. um, Oh, right now, right on the market. Yeah. There's a few. But, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. There's, there's a few of them now, right. That have launched. Those are only Bitcoin exposure, we offer access to multiple assets, just like traditional SMAs. Um, so that's what I think is really interesting. And advisors and clients are demanding access to other high quality assets in the um, crypto and, and digital asset markets. So when we initially originally launched, it was Bitcoin only. We launched uh, Ether back in February. Uh, we launched uh, DeFi assets and products um, and other you know, layer one, layer two assets and protocols since then. We found that initially advisors were just going into Bitcoin. Now that most advisors have exposure to Bitcoin or advisors are moving in for the first time, the majority of them are actually going into, let's call it 70% Bitcoin, 30% Ethereum, uh, rebalance, reconstituted quarterly uh, with a tax overlay on it, right? Which is another big piece of the SMA structure. Or they'll do 50% Bitcoin, 25% ETH, 25% DeFi. The advisors and the clients are looking at this as a multi-asset investment, and it's not going to be only Bitcoin. They want exposure to these other assets that have a little bit higher of a risk profile that their clients are hearing about in the news. So that's you know Ethereum competitors. Um, that's other types of digital assets, right? That actually have utility and have commercial applications, like the certain DeFi protocols. You know, there's th- certain platforms that benefit from the, the NFT craze that we've been seeing, right? So there's there's a lot of different and interesting opportunities. Um, there's yield, there's staking, right? There's income opportunities. You're going to be able to access all of that by owning it directly in a managed account. And what Eagle Brook does is we add a layer of advice on top of it, aside from just access. So we'll actually talk to the advisor, talk to the investment committee, understand what they're looking for, advise them on the types of allocations that they should think about, both from a overall client portfolio perspective, right? Should you allocate two for two percent? Should you allocate four percent? Should you allocate six percent? And if you allocate, you know, you know, two to six percent what should the allocation in out digital assets be, right? Should it be 50% Bitcoin, 50% Ethereum? Does that firm want exposure to these other assets as well? Do they want you know to go into stable coins that yield 8%? There's a lot of interesting things that you can do that as this the speed of this market moves, right? And Eagle Brook can uh, be very innovative on the product side. I think that's where things get really exciting, you know, fr- from uh, just a product and, and platform. Yeah. yeah. And I'm sure education is a huge component to this, right? I mean, uh, most advisors, of course, know Bitcoin, but uh, Ethereum or certainly any of the DeFi stuff is probably a, you're climbing a hill there to get most advisors to understand what you're talking about. You are exactly correct. Uh, we always start with Bitcoin. Once they understand Bitcoin, they go to Ethereum and understanding Ethereum. Once you kind of can grasp that, um, you can talk about like the longer tail riskier assets that um, are a little bit um, newer in the market, but are gaining traction fairly quickly. So we really focus on adoption, right? Product, what are they actually building? 
Why does it make sense? Why are people using these things? Why are they buying them? We do a lot of that rigorous fundamental research, but then package it in a way that advisors can synthesize and understand and explain to clients, right? So um, that's when I say, you know, we are working with 400 advisors that are actively allocating and then, you know, over 2000 that are, uh, we're currently educating because it just takes time for, you know, this is a very steep learning curve for this asset class. It's not like any equities or fixed income or private equity or hedge funds or real estate or anything like that. So the the learning curve is steep, but once you get over that steep learning curve, you know, you can really engage with your clients in a deeper way, which is the advisor's number one job. So I think this is just another touch point that can help people organically drive, you know, relationships and engagement with their existing client base. You know, one of the things that advisors said early on, and probably still many of them say it now, uh, is that uh, compliance departments won't allow them to invest in cryptocurrencies. Are we past that excuse or is that still a, a, a legitimate worry? I believe it is legitimate and we see it in real time. All the active deals that we're working on, they are not delayed or taking long because people are still trying to figure out if there's demand from their advisors or if they want to work with Eagle Brook in the SMA platform and they like the SMA structure. Those two problems have been solved <laughs> for the most part. Mm-hmm. It's typically in the compliance legal risk department. And it's not that this can't get appro- approved from a compliance perspective because it clearly can, right? We've been approved by 34 RIAs and 32 of those RIAs manage over a billion dollars in our very serious compliance departments. That's not the case. I think it's more they don't understand the regulatory landscape uh, and the risk. A lot of people still think like Bitcoin and Ether can potentially be banned, which mm. I think is highly unlikely in the US specifically. Uh, we as an RIA embrace regulation, right? We want to be overregulated. We want to understand the rules because that makes our job easier. We are fiduciaries yourself. Exa- exactly correct. Yes. So, so that's the that's the biggest thing, right? We we want to do the right thing for our clients. We just want the rules to be more clear. And I think the rules are fairly clear, right? From a st- just straightforward perspective, right? You need to do the diligence on the custodian. You do the diligence on the vendor and, and asset manager, which is Eagle Brook, right? You have to think about how this fits into your own compliance program and update that. And then also have all of the risk disclosures um, on your ADV, and we we add that to our own onboarding work, workflow that clients sign. Um, once that's all done, the last compliance step is actually training advisors. So we've actually built out proprietary training modules for REAs, where it takes about two hours for an advisor to go through. Um, they basically learn about you know everything they need to know about um, Bitcoin. Ether and, and other digital assets they'd be investing in. They have to take a quiz at the end. They understand their merits, the risks, how it fits into a portfolio, and they have to score above 70% um, before that they can get access to the SMA platform and start onboarding clients. So that's kind of what is necessary. Some firms, I would say, you know, that's a lot of work, right? Everything I just went through. And then it still needs to be approved by the management team and investment committee for some of these, you know, multi-billion dollar REAs. So sometimes it's a lot of work for not very clear, you know, is it going to be, you know, $20 million? Are they going to invest $50 million? Is it going to be a significant part of their portfolio, right? If it's going to be 5%, it might be worth the work. If it's going to be 1%, it might not be worth the work until people are banging down the compliance department's doors. So it's not a matter of that they can't do it. I just think it's, you know, some people are trying to figure out exactly what their strategy is before they launch offerings. But right now I would say less than 5% of the RA market 
is currently allocated in digital assets in any way. So this market's fairly wide open. I think that you know will probably be 50-50, you know, three, four years from now. So there's a lot of opportunity. And I think you know, a lot of uh, advisors are going to see an inflection point where some really big firms start allocating in a meaningful way. And they're going to realize that they need to start thinking about this and, and uh, launching solutions if they want to yeah. compete. I mean, it makes total sense for you to go after the billion dollar plus RIA, right? Because as you say, I mean, if they're going to allocate two or 3%, that's still, I mean, it's not nothing, but it's not a significant amount of money. And I imagine as you go further down the RIA scale to the, you know, $250 million AUM advisor, the, you know, uh, that it gets, the, the returns become even less attractive. Is there a way to kind of scale this across smaller firms as well? Yes, of course. So there, there's a hundred percent way to scale it. Um, our SMA platform is fully digital. All onboarding is fully digital. You can onboard a client account in two to three minutes. You can manage the account all, all online. Obviously, we have a fairly strong client service team um, that you know you can call and we'll answer the phone and walk you through the process, explain our SMAs, walk you through the crypto market and how to think about it in your portfolio, all of those things. So I would say it is scalable from a technology perspective, but a lot of these smaller firms do need to be like, it's just, I would say it's more of a distribution problem, boots on the ground than a technology and scalable problem. So we're actively working on our distribution strategy, you know, downstream and upstream. So I think that's going to be interesting to see what that looks like and how we can get this in the hands of those, you know, anywhere from 50 million to, you know, $500 million RIAs that are looking for this type of solution um, that wouldn't be as, you know, super high touch and take, you know, three to six months with a compliance team to get this across the line. So I think, you know, if those if those smaller RIAs feel comfortable with the risk and can get things approved fairly quickly with the documentation that, um, you know, all these firms have, then that's how, you know, we can uh, properly and adequately service, you know, the, the smaller RIA market. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know, the other uh, uh, thing that we hear from advisors when talking about crypto is this bit of a disbelief that it's anything at all. And and as they ask why, what's backing it, what's behind it, it just seems to be a kind of a, uh, a, a, you know, there's no, it's not a claim on any income producing property. It's, you know, which is how many of them traditionally think of investments. How do you, how do you get around that? You know, and certainly as the market's going up and up and up as it has been, I'm sure it's probably an easier sell once you know the markets turn uh, and it will in Bitcoin as it does in everything else, I mean its volatility is inevitable. How do you defend against the uh, uh, accusations that this is just fairy dust? That, that is a question we get all the time, so I'm really excited that you asked it. Let's break the market down into two things and kind of provide real analogy so it's a little bit more tangible and concrete. So kind of just starting with the largest one, Bitcoin. Bitcoin is very different than the other crypto assets and digital assets as it is trying, and in my opinion, it is money, right? What it is trying to do is become an emerging store of value in a global monetary system that has these built-in network effects that are fairly similar with how big, uh, how Facebook and Uber and Amazon and, and Instagram and YouTube, all of these traditional you know, Web2 companies had built their adoption curves and built basically their own commercial success. Bitcoin is following a similar trajectory, but instead of Facebook competing with newspapers and Amazon competing with retail stores, Bitcoin is competing with gold mm -hmm. as a alternative store of value, right? And just getting into kind of the specifics of what makes Bitcoin a good 
you know, emerging store value. And I want to make it point out it is emerging as a store value. Bitcoin is not a store value yet because of the volatility with the asset class. And that's yeah. because we are still in price discovery, right? The majority of people still don't understand the core qualities of Bitcoin and actually what it is because it's not a tangible physical asset like gold or like other, you know, real estate or, you know, physical assets that people do store value in. However, What's very interesting about it is it has this scarcity where there's only 21 million that will ever be minted. And it has a transparent monetary policy, you know, that is basically disinflationary, where we are in a world where the central banks have decided to, you know, start printing, you know, fiat currencies at a rate we have never seen in history. Mm -hmm. And Bitcoin is somewhat of a defense against that. So I think from the macro environment, that's why we've seen a lot of our clients start to invest is they actually do view it as an alternative to money printing you know, in the US and across all other you know, central banks across the world in this environment. So I think that's like one macro driver. The, the other one is that Bitcoin is fully digital and native to the internet. And we're moving from the physical world to the digital world. And we saw that with software. Um, and I think we're starting to see it with monetary assets as well. Bitcoin is a better version of gold for what it is trying to be in terms of a monetary network and store value. For example, David, if I wanted to send you $12,500 worth of gold right now, it would be very difficult for me to physically send you that gold. Sure. I could send you that Bitcoin in seconds right across the, across the internet, and you could get that in your account without any intermediaries, and there'd be final settlement. That's, that's pretty interesting um, you know, utility versus gold. And that's why some people think Bitcoin could reach parity with gold or, or go higher. So Going aside from that, a lot of people view Bitcoin as digital gold because of the scarcity, because it's non-sovereign and not tied to any government, and because it has a low correlation to traditional financial assets. So exposure to Bitcoin can reduce um, exposure to economic cycles and financial markets, right? So that's kind of Bitcoin and the investment uh, case around that. The other assets, um, Ethereum, Ether, DeFi, things like that. A great analogy is HTTP. HTTP is a, a protocol um, that was developed in the late 80s, early 90s. It is the protocol that the multi-trillion dollar companies that we see now, ha now have built their companies on top of, right? So Amazon is a company that was built in HTTP. Facebook, yeah. Netflix, Google, all of these massive successful companies were built on this protocol. So imagine if you could invest in that protocol back in the early 90s, that would probably be the best return out of any investment, even probably better than Amazon stock, right? Post the 2001 crash. What Ethereum Ether gives you is the ability to invest in that next generation protocol that all of these top level entrepreneurs, technologists are building the next wave of commercial applications that will be killer apps. All the talent is actually moving towards building on Ethereum, as most of the opportunities in on the internet and in, in, in on the web for kind of web two and HTTP, there's not that many opportunities left. Most of the companies have been built. Ether enables new business models where you can build financial technology companies, digital art companies, gaming companies, social media companies on this new web where the owners can transact value seamlessly and basically interact in a peer-to-peer -peer way and transfer value. Mm -hmm. That is something that's really, really interesting. And we're just at the very, very early stages of this being 
gaining wide uh, mainstream adoption. So you can really compare it to being able to invest directly in a protocol that you hadn't been able to do, you know, in the traditional internet. So and I this think is the case for, yeah. I was gonna say that's the case for diversification too, right? Because we don't know which will be widely adopted and which won't. Exactly correct. But I would, I would actually pause there. I would say, in my opinion, Bitcoin and Ether are always going to be the blue chips. They have true network effects in the market. It's really, really hard to compete with assets that have network effects. An example of that is even if I built a better version of Facebook right now, right, with better technology, Facebook already has two and a half billion users. I'm right. not going to compete with them. They have massive network effects. Same thing with Instagram and Uber and all, all of these companies. That's the same thing with Bitcoin, Ethereum. They're already the winners, right? They're going to be the winners for the next five to 10 years. People can build better technology, but they're not going to get the adoption or the network effects necessary to reach you know, Bitcoin at a trillion dollar valuation, Ether at, a, um, I think it was like 450 billion, right? Yeah. Really, 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 really interesting on those two things. The other assets are the ones where you have to pick like anywhere between like four and six, because we're not sure what those winners are going to be. But if you pick one winner, that's a, you know, 25, 50 X, which is kind of what the risk profile is. It's either kind of, you know, a zero or those venture capital style returns that even if you have a 5% position and it goes up that amount, right, you can make a lot of return in your portfolio, which is the argument for investing in a multi-asset crypto portfolio and expo- uh, giving a client's exposure and optionality for that, as opposed to just Bitcoin only, which you know, I think Bitcoin is going to do pretty well over the next 10 years, but it's just a different risk profile if you do want true exposure to the crypto market. It's interesting. I, let's go back to Bitcoin just for one second, because this it's an interesting conversation to me. The I understand completely the, uh, the position that this is a, a defensive investment against inflationary pressures, uh, governments printing fiat money. Uh, store of value, more uh, uh, easier store of value than gold. Uh, but I don't get the sense that that's the reason most advisors are interested in investing in it. I, I, I sort of sense that most of them are interested in the appreciation and the return, the, you know, that they're going to be able to sell it at a later date for more than they bought it for. How do you square those two? That's a great question. What we say is that it's actually both those things. It is both a defensive investment, right? Alternative to fiat currency, right? A defensive play because it has a low correlation. So it actually can increase diversification of a portfolio. That's one thing. I don't think that's enough to get advisors over the edge. So basically, in my opinion, what gets advisors over the edge, which is what you just said, is that Bitcoin has higher upside and higher beta than gold. So it has both of these defensive qualities that gold shares, but it has way higher upside right? Then gold has itself, which is why Paul Tudor Jones, Stan Drunkenmiller, um, you know, Soros, all of these major macro investors are choosing Bitcoin over gold because it has both qualities. So why wouldn't you bet on the fastest horse in the race as opposed to just going into gold that, you know, we're not sure how exactly it's going to perform, you know, in the long term, can it go to 50 trillion, you know, I, I wouldn't expect so, um, but could Bitcoin go to 10 trillion, right? Basically 10 X from here, 10 years from now, right? I, I think that's actually uh, you know, an asymmetric bet that makes sense. So it's a defensive play that, that does have these growth equity and offensive opportunities. That's what I think is those two things um, that are complementary is what actually gets advisors over the edge. But I will say, without a doubt, there's advisors that are seeing the price go up that you know do want to you know FOMO into the market, right? That's just how like markets and behavioral uh, finance works. Um, however, the, the ones that are allocating very meaningful amounts of capital, what I hear is kind of those two plays, right? This is defensive like gold, 
right? But this is also an offensive play. This is an asymmetric opportunity. I think I should put 4% of my client's portfolio into this. The, uh, what about taxes? Are there tax implications? We've been like uh, reading a lot about uh, how the IRS, you know, uh, considers uh, uh, cryptocurrency investments. What do advisors need to know about the tax implications of, you know, once they sell these things? Is it a capital gain? Is it a, a income? What is it? Yep. So it's it's capital gains, right? Short term, long term, same as equities, basically. Mm-hmm. So that's how it's taxed. The only uh, caveat is that um, it right now Bitcoin and Ether do not have the wash sale rule apply to them. However, I do believe that that will change. Basically, you know, it's a, it's a bill in the house, right? That's most likely going to get passed that will, um, you know, reduce that uh, tax advantage. Mm-hmm. So there will be wash sale rule that does apply to Bitcoin, Ether and other digital assets. However, there will still be an opportunity to do taxless harvesting like you can in traditional SMAs in direct indexing. If you do run a uh, multi-asset portfolio or you're invested in a multi-asset portfolio, right? So if you own, let's say 10 uh, digital assets, right? And five are, are um, you know down a certain amount, you can sell the, those ones and then buy five other assets that have a similar correlation um, and product and platform to those ones um, just like how you know traditional tax loss harvesting, you you know, sell Coke, buy Pepsi, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know you, you're going to be able to do that in the crypto market as well. Um, and given the volatility of this market, it can be a little bit more advantageous from a tax perspective than just equities, right? So we're seeing our clients, you know, uh, run. You know, we're running the tax loss harvesting strategy for them, but our clients are you know, looking at that as a major uh, tax arbitrage and tax management opportunity that they can use to you know work with their clients on. Um, and what about the way that uh, advisors can integrate this into their current portfolio reporting tools, their current uh, financial planning tools? Is, is the SMA structure, does it easily integrate into those platforms? It, extremely easy. So we are uh, integrated with all the major reporting systems that RIAs use. So we are integrated with Orion, Adapar, Tamarack, Black Diamond, a few others that should be finished by year end. Um, so we can cover the majority of the independent wealth management market, but you know we also can integrate with broker dealer systems and wirehouse systems, TAMPs, things like that. So we're also working to cover the the full market. And then on the onboarding side, we have various integrations such as SSO, um, iframes, and then full API integration. So advisors can access this directly in their workflows, as opposed to having to go on our website, which is how I would say the majority of our advisors do it now is they just have log on to Eaglebrook. And then once they onboard a client, send over the wire in the trades are executed into the investment strategy or SMA that they're invested in, they see it on Orion or Black Diamond or Adapar T plus one. And then it's basically just in that account uh, in perpetuity until they sell, withdraw, rebalance, whatever. So that's kind of how the workflow works. And that's that's how advisors get paid on it because they can see it in Orion or Adapar or Black Diamond. Um, they can report on the assets, but they can also bill on the assets. And that's a really interesting point. Um, so advisors can you know, charge whatever fee they're interested in, um, just like they charge it on, you know, equities or fixed income or sure. you know, the other assets they manage. Sure. I'm just thinking of the reports that they give their clients to show, you know, here's how close we are to your financial plan. Here are the components that are, you know, pushing us there or keeping us further away from it. It, uh, it, it, it bakes into all the, the portfolio reporting tools that advisors use. Yep. That, that's exactly correct. They can do the monthly or quarterly performance reviews with the client and they'll be able to see 
the digital assets directly in their name as opposed to like a product, right? So they'll see the Bitcoin that they own directly, see the Ether they own directly, see the Aave and Compound and Maker and all these assets they can own directly, um, which I think is really, really advantageous um, when you're going and doing those performance reports. Yeah. So what's next, Chris? I uh, going to bring more products onto the platform, uh, uh, go out to uh, some enterprise deals. What's next for Eagle Book? That's a great question. We're, we're working on a lot of things and have some really exciting announcements that's going to come on the wire in the next few months. But I would say there's there's two things that uh, I think we have a major focus on. One, yes, we do want to go downstream to the smaller RAs, but we do want to go upstream to uh, the IBDs. So that's been a major focus of ours is covering that market and getting approved on those platforms. So um, as you you know can imagine, that's a, a little bit more difficult than some of these independent RIAs. So that's something we're working on pretty heavily right now. I'm really excited to you know get some of those deals done and announce that. The other thing that's interesting from a product perspective, which we're we're rolling out fairly soon, is that Eaglebrook wants to be the TAMP or the SMA platform in the crypto market. We're the largest right now, right at 140 million in assets. And what we want to do is we want to work with traditional asset managers like BlackRock and, and State Street and all these firms for when they're ready to run crypto strategies, that they're going to work with us. And what, what our thought process is, is that they are going to want to run multi-asset strategies. They're going to want to have their own products, but they're not going to build an SMA platform to do this, right? You know, because there's a lot of specialized knowledge and engineers and all this stuff. So we want to be basically that technology platform and provider that can do all of that, distribute it, right? Execute trades, do the reporting, do the security, the compliance, all of that stuff. And they basically just run the strategies. So when they're ready to run those strategies, I'm going to work with those traditional asset managers um, that our clients know. And you know when they're ready, because they're not going to be able to do it in an ETF structure or in a mutual fund structure, they're going to have to do it in an SMA structure. And as the largest SMA platform, right, we want to continue to raise assets, get to that billion dollar mark and really um, start working with those large players that, you know, in my opinion, are going to, you know, have a high demand for from their client base for them to run crypto strategies. So we might be two or three years away from that. But I think, uh, you know, as this market continues to go in the right direction, that's that's fairly inevitable. So those are the two things I'm really excited about um, in, the near, in the near to midterm. Final question. What worries you? Uh, uh, competition? Who are your competitors? Or, or maybe there's something more existential that worries you? What's what's the biggest concern? Yes, that's that's a fantastic question. Um, I would say everyone always asks me, you know, won't a Bitcoin ETF kill your business? And I would say that's like probably one of the least of my worries. And that's mainly because we are a multi-asset platform. We are kind of, you know, in the camp of owning more than just Bitcoin and that there's going to be a lot of interesting opportunities in this space. So that doesn't really directly compete with us. Yes. Well, maybe 25, 50% of the market just want to point and click and buy the spot ETF 12, 18 months from now. Yes, that's fine. We want to focus more on the firms that want to do this in an extremely thoughtful way. So I would say that's less less of a concern. My biggest worry, I would say, is not um, existing competitors in the market. It would be a large traditional TAMP that manages trillions of dollars that decides to throw, you know, 10, $20 million at building a competitive SMA platform that does have massive distribution. So I'd say the competitor that I'm worried about is the one that hasn't really shown their cards yet. That's, that's the only thing I'm worried about. Um, I also want to make it fairly clear that I do believe there is going to be a market pullback 
at some point in the next 12 sure. months, I would say. Um, that's just how the crypto markets work, right? You know, I started investing in 2014, um, right? You know, there was a, a run up in 13, 14, and then a crash down uh, 87%. Same thing happened in 2017, crash down 83%. I don't think we're going to see that massive, like 83, 87% crash. Are we going to see uh, 50 to 60% plus crash potentially? Yes, I believe so. So I think you really need to monitor this market and understand that. Um, but I think this market is a lot more institutionalized. A lot more major players have come in. There's more liquidity. There's you know better you know regulated markets and things like that. So I think that's kind of just want everyone to be aware that we're fully expecting that to happen. And making sure that you're thinking about this thoughtfully and not investing <laughs> right when Bitcoin, you know, potentially crosses, you know, 75K, 80K, 90K, 100K, something like that, right? If, if that does happen in this market cycle, you're not investing, you know, just because the price is going up. You're investing because you actually understand what's going on. And, you know, if the market starts to heat up, we'd recommend clients in dollar cost average over a period of, you know, weeks or months so they can smooth the, you know, the cost basis for the accounts in these volatile periods. So those are kind of like my three final thoughts on like what I'm worried about, the, you know, what's on the competitive landscape. Um, but those are just, you know, the three general things that I, I see from a competitive uh, standpoint. Okay. Well, this has been great, Chris. I, I really appreciate it. I, I, we're going to have to do this again because I got a lot more questions, uh, uh, but I'm, I'm running out of time here. Uh, but thanks a lot for joining us. I think it's been uh, really informative and uh, I think we've learned a lot about Eaglebrook and thanks again. David, I really appreciate the time. Fantastic conversation. Great questions. Give me a call anytime if you want to dive into the, you know, wealth management uh, and crypto markets. So yeah, thank you again. We'll do that. We will keep talking. I appreciate it. And you've been listening to the Advisor Innovations Podcast. This is David Armstrong. Thanks for listening. This podcast is sponsored by LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and member of FINRA SIPC. LPL Financial is a separate entity from and not affiliated with WealthManagement.com.